Hello, and welcome back to the weekly comic book podcast called First Issue Club. You're in it. We're doing it right now. I'm your current host right now, Greg. In the club with me today is... Mike DeStacy. And a very other special guest that is popping in. Andy Vargas. Andy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Stoked to be here. Uh, ooh, it's the spooky week. You're hearing this uh, a couple days before Halloween, so I hope it didn't scare you with my spooky ghost voice. Got it. Yeah. No one's ready for this stuff yet. Chills. You have to wait three more days. That's what makes it even scarier. Mm-hmm. Like, the you're expecting it to be on Monday, but First Issue Club hits you Wednesday before with the, with the boo-hoos in the <laughs> creaky store. We've been planning this for years, folks. Right. This has been 10 years in the making. Hit them on October 28th. We have some special guests. We're not doing that this year. We <laughs> typically on Halloween we have like those big extravagant episodes. You do a fantastic job editing editing them. Yeah, uh, not the case this year. I'm traveling this week. Yeah, and no so, time to edit. So this is raw. So anything scary you hear is us messing up and um, getting someone's name wrong when we talk about a book. Yeah, which I, is horrifying. Yeah, releasing an unedited podcast is about as scary as it gets. <laughs> truly, it truly is. <laughs> Uh, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about the rise of 90s nostalgia, some scary books that have uh, really stuck with us over the years, some book recommendations from the week, and whatever else pops into our mind. Mike D., I think you had a couple newsy hits for us before we get going. I did. Um, one, I wanted to mention Vita Ayala's uh, New Mutants run has come to a close. And I just wanted to shout that out as something that uh, I've really enjoyed. The 30th issue was a, um, I I think Marvel put it as like a love letter mosaic to New Mutants. So there's a lot of like throwback. They're like telling each other stories about them growing up. And so you get a lot of like littering of uh, New Mutants past. I've really enjoyed the return to Limbo that Vita Yala did. And we got this gold armor for magic, which seems to be something that's sticking around. Yeah, is a little. she transform? Is she going to another team? Not that I know of. As far as I know, she's sticking on New Mutants, but maybe, maybe not. She's been in and out of Strange Academy as a professor. Um, hmm. They've teased over the past couple years that there's like maybe some Doctor Strange crossover that's going to happen, like furthering that Strange Academy stuff, but it hasn't happened hmm, yet. Okay. Um, but New Mutants, I think, was it was just an exciting run that they did. Um, new person writing it, and Escapade is a new character that was introduced during one of those Marvel Voices Pride. Yes, books, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and is joining the New Mutants as of the next issue to come out, issue thirty-one. Have they announced who the new writer is? They have. It's not someone I'm familiar with. Oh, okay, so. Excited to see what they do with this arc um, that's all about kind of bringing Escapade to Krakoa and introducing that character. So you said issue 30 was like a celebration of New Mutants. Exactly right. Was Cannibal in it? And did he say, I'm nine vulnerable when I'm blasting? 100% yes. Thank you. Both of these things happened. I'm like, when you're look, taking a retrospective and looking back and you're homaging all the things that need to be homaged that yes. are part of the canon. Uh-huh. <laughs> cannibal canon. Ha ha. Uh, I'm not invulnerable when I'm blasting has to be in there. Um, <laughs> if you don't know why we're bringing this up, 
there's a rant from me somewhere about mm-hmm. a interaction with Clarice Claremont where he that you had that I had. We're, we never covered off on this, did we? Um, the an update to the story since. Oh, because Joe, oh, yes, our okay. friend Joe. So let me explain myself. Yes, go ahead. I talked to Chris Claremont at a convention, and I'm like, huge Cannonball fan. He's one of my favorite characters. Just got a remark from Bob McLeod on this cover. I was like, I would love it if you wrote his famous quote on the cover. And Chris Claremont's like, what quote? And I'm like, I'm nigh invulnerable when I'm blasting. And he was like, Cannonball wouldn't say that. Right. Very, very definitively. Let me step in here. We found screenshots of the comic book and posted them online of Cannonball saying this in the comic. In several issues that Chris Claremont 100% Multiple, wrote. multiple and issues. And since then, it has like become a constantly reused thing. It's like his go-to line. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, when I'm having this interaction with Chris Claremont, it's very uncomfortable. And he's like... Uh, Cannonball would say, I love Leela, who was like the rock star character in New Mutants that he dated. Yeah. And so he writes, I love Leela on the cover of my comic, which is like. Whatever. You'd have to be me to know that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like something related to Cannonball. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Like a super fan. Um, Flash forward to uh, this past year at. Which Comic-Con? Do you know? I I think he went to... Oh, man. I, was it Emerald City? I think it was Emerald yeah, City. Yeah. Um, our buddy Joe goes and asks if Chris Claremont would do the exact same thing. Pulls it, Same book, same situation, and it's just like, hey, man, I'd love if you'd write that famous cannonball phrase. Yeah. I'm nigh invulnerable when I'm blasted. And, and wasn't taking no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe I should have been a little more insistent because I, yeah. ultimately Joe got what he asked for, but I think he got he this, dug in. But he got more guff than I was comfortable handling. I mm-hmm. think because I folded immediately when he was like, "Cannonball wouldn't say that." I was just like, "Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, Chris. Of course, of course, Chris." <laughs> but but the, Joe's issue doesn't say I'm nigh invulnerable when I'm mm-hmm. blast. It's like I'm almost invulnerable when I'm blasting off or something <laughs> like. I think. <laughs> Chris Claremont maybe takes umbrage with the fact that like Cannonball became more of like a country bumpkin mm-hmm. over the issues, and nigh is a word that would not have been in his vocabulary. Sure, yeah. So uh, he's like an ostrich in the sand now. Just his head is in there. Like, <laughs> nope, no, 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 no. Would never ever say that. Um. So yeah, he got a version of this written on his comic. Yeah. Only after Chris Claremont's handler, yes, was was like he like looked to him for like assurance, uh-huh. and he was like, "It's kind of his thing that he yeah. says that." Like, Chris, he says that a lot. Like, he says it like every issue he's in. <laughs> he says that in the issue you're holding. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like when he you, well, when I had it, yes, he, he did it. He flipped through the issue like. You, like you flip through a magazine, like, oh my and he goes, nope, not in there. And I was like, what? you didn't even look at a single, there's no way you could have read a single word. I don't need to. I wrote it. And I want to emphasize Chris Claremont, one of my all-time heroes, one of the all-time comic book writing greats, like more than a cemented canon for the X-Men, like, uh-huh, yeah. is like 
the reason the X-Men are what they are today. Yes. Um, so huge fan of his and small gripe. He was so cool and talked to me for a really long time and so many other people for a long time. But why this particular thing was a sticking point, I have no clue. So congrats to Joe on a killer piece in your collection that <laughs> I guarantee like no one else has because of 85% how much... there. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Next time, if he ever comes to Planet, you should just write it out for him and have him sign the quote. Yeah. Uh, exactly right. <laughs> right. You don't have to author this. Just okay it. If Chris Clar- Claremont ever comes to Planet again, we're all getting shirts printed that say, I'm nigh invulnerable when I'm blasting Cannonball, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, uh, I, so funny. I cannot troll Chris Claremont. Um, I can. Don't worry. <laughs> so I'll leave it to you <laughs> yeah, guys. I got you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did want to shout out Vita Iala's run, which I just thought was fantastic, and I'm excited to see what they do next. Um, okay, the other thing that stuck out to me um, on my topics this week was that the highest 10 prices of all time for comics were sold in the last two years. Hmm? So highest selling comics ever, Yeah, all in the past two years okay oh really yeah um and it's just interesting to see the escalation of collectibles over the past couple years Mm -hmm. and it's funny that like we've got this point where um covid it like people are getting out more often and um but the collectible game is still strong and like even though the economy is kind of dipping now we kind of expected that collectible market to crash again. Mm-hmm. And so far, this hasn't really happened. I would love it if it did. <laughs> so I could buy more so fun you could things. Scoop up more comics. Yeah. But w- one of the things that I thought was interesting about um the Action Comics number one that made a lot of headlines um that sold for 3.4 million recently was bought in January for 3.2 million. And I didn't realize that that person had flipped that comic so quickly. So flipping comics is a big boy's game too. <laughs> I wonder if you just like you do can it. make a cool two hundred thousand dollars between like Dude. January and August flipping action comics number one. Um and, and another interesting thing about that particular issue is that it's referred to as the rocket issue, which I think is like any action comics number one is like notable at this point in a good grade Mm -hmm. just because there are so few of them. So this one has a rocket stamp that a little kid had put on it, the original owner when he was was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just known as the rocket copy. It's traded hands several times at this point. It's been auctioned off tons. That's sick. And it comes with the original stamp that the kid used. So they've always paired it. With from the original owner's stamp. Quick that he question: put on it. Is the stamp CGC'd? <laughs> it, is, it is not in a case, not pristine, worthless. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is very good stamp at at best uh, grading wise. I love the niche CGC graded stuff. Like uh-huh. there's the Rocket variant, there's the Mark Jeweler variants, and then the disgruntled girlfriend variant that's the best one where the someone drew uh, some uh angry girlfriend wrote a bunch of stuff on like spider-man number 12 or something yeah. it's like a really low issue and someone got it graded and it's now just like a joke in the community that like whenever it comes up for sale like at auction or ebay uh people like bid on it because it's like this like 
unique thing to have in the collection. Yeah, but right. it's, I mean, it's like first issue of Dr. Octopus or something. Like, it's some sort of notable issue. Mm-hmm, but yeah, yeah, it's got like, fuck you, Steve, written on the cover or something. <laughs> <laughs> So like that that's so awesome. more of those are like yeah it almost makes it like more of a sought after exactly thing. Oh, yeah yeah and I like the it. the Don Rosa collection is like highly regarded because it's a pedigree collection yeah like it's, yeah it's I don't know how many that CGC acknowledges as pedigree collections but there are a handful if you don't know this already that if you get a book CGC from that collection they'll print the name of the collection that it came from which is kind of cool i don't own any of those but like the guy who started mile high comics i think was the first wow the first pedigree collection that cgc acknowledged that's insane Mm -hmm. i think that's one of my bucket list things is to go to mile high comics i've never been i think it's the world's largest quote-unquote comic book shop yeah yeah so uh i actually do have one news item that's kind of cool for kansas city people hey so I picked up the facsimile edition of Tomb of Dracula 1 mm-hmm. this last, well, two weeks ago now. And I was flipping through it, and they have the original advertisement pages in there, right? One of the advertisements on the ad page in that facsimile edition is for Clint's Comics. Are you kidding me? Whoa. Yeah. So Tomb of Dracula number one, if you have an original copy, you can find an ad for Clint's Comics in it. Which is a local Kansas City shop. Yeah. That's kind of rad. Isn't that cool? One of the things about these shot, like you don't realize how much of a gem Clint's Comics is mm-hmm. until you go to other cities and you're like, these are the comic shops. <laughs> like <laughs> we are in one of these cities where you're kind of spoiled to have such a massive mm-hmm. comic shop that it's really big, just rows and rows and rows of long boxes. The new comic shelves are just like go on forever compared to a lot of your typical shops that are in like strip malls and things like that. It's a yeah. It's a really cool shop. They they are stuffed with back issues. They've got a basement full of comics that they won't let you down in. God knows why they haven't turned that into shoppable space. But um they've got like an entire library of vintage comics down there that they'll bring up like one at a time <laughs> if you ask for like something specific that yeah. they don't have out. Um so really cool shop. I'm going to Madison, Wisconsin, next week, mm-hmm. and I've got a couple shops on my uh, on my list to check out. Are there so, some notable shops up there? Or the, just... uh, there aren't really. There's oh, like okay. no. There's no no shops that I saw that were like these are destination shops. Mm-hmm. But m- maybe I'll have some shop tales by the time I get back. Are you gonna get some cheese curds and some beer while you're up there? One of the only things that. Uh, I asked to do was get cheese curds. <laughs> if anything else, <laughs> load me up with cheese curds. That's a, and, and it's the same thing when people come to Kansas City and they're like, what's the one thing I have to do here? And I'm like, get burn ends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's yeah. the one thing to do in Madison? And it's cheese curds. So I got to do it. Can you smuggle cheese curds back or are they like check you with I'm just going to fill my backpack with <laughs> just, just loose curds. cheese curds. <laughs> He's trying to sneak in curds. The whole plane's just gonna stink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was really that, yeah. I think that's all we had for news hits. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, like I mentioned, the top uh, the '90s have never been hotter. You guys, yeah. uh, '90s comics. If uh, well, in the 1900s, I'll say uh, comics. <laughs> wow, were, oh, we're getting a real history. We're in lesson. a realm of their own, and the '90s were really 
scattered. You had the plummet at the beginning and then the uh-huh. kind of the resurgence of the of the 1990s and 1998s. Yeah. Uh the reason I want to bring this up is because the FOC this week you have 90s variants for DC Comics, which is like all of the retro costumes from 90s DC characters, long-haired Superman and like uh Batman with like the sharp shoulder pads that make no fucking sense like when Todd McFarlane was drawing them. And in all the Justice League books, they're embossed. 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 Good God. They're embossed. You're not making it any fancier. No. What can I get for these embossed copies? When I said sir? that, my pinky was literally out. <laughs> it's like they're the Grey Poupon of comics. And, um, you know, Donnie Cates and Stegman are doing Vanish, which is like, it is no illusion that it's just like a, a love story for 90s comics and like basically trying to do their version of Spawn. Speaking of Spawn, Greg Capullo and Todd McFarlane are doing a huge Batman-Spawn crossover in December, which is a lead-out from Spawn and Batman when Frank Miller and Todd McFarlane wrote it like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, as 90s kids, are you happy to see all of this resurgence of your youth just hitting you in the face? This is a very interesting question because for me, like part of the 90s is like all these comics are trash and worthless Mm -hmm. and they overprinted so many of them. Right. And and not to say that like that's why we're buying comics is just for collectability. But also I do think that certain comics that I've heard or have friends that romanticize things like um, profit. (laughs) Yeah. Pit are like so convoluted and hard to follow for me, mm-hmm. or th- they lean into a lot of the like tropes of the time so hard that retroactively, when I go back and look at them, they're difficult to read. So, I don't think I have as <clears throat> much of the 90s nostalgia kick uh-huh. as some people do. I'm like, the people that I'm a fan of. From the 90s mm-hmm. that I'll like live and die for as, like as a fan um, are still making comics and are still very active. Like Jim Lee does right. tons of DC covers and I can buy a Jim Lee cover anytime I want. Umberto Ramos does like plenty of stuff right now and I can still be a fan of his in current comic books. Right. I think if some of like my heroes from the 90s had trailed off a bit more, I would be more like, why don't they come back? <laughs> but the people I love are still kind of around and relevant in the industry today. Well, I mean, you mentioned Jim Lee and Wildcats is coming back on image for yeah. like a short run and like I think Wildcats in like Wetworks is like the epitome of indie 90s comics like dollar bin fodder now. Well, and especially we were all kids when these were coming out, right? So the books that had cartoons like Wildcats mm-hmm even more so like hit me in my feels from mm-hmm. the nostalgia sense of that. Um, the, the funny thing is, is there are books that like I rediscovered as an adult that came out in the 90s. And those might be the books I'm more excited about than the ones that were so popular mm-hmm. to have made it to like eight-year-old to 13-year-old me. You know what I mean? Like, really? I wasn't reading... Monkey Man and O'Brien <laughs> when, I was, when I was like 10. You know what I mean? Right. But now I'm like, 
man, if that book could come back now, mm-hmm. that would be fucking killer. Like, I'd love an Arthur Adams ongoing book. Sure. Like, I wasn't reading Concrete when I was 11. Great example. And, like, Concrete, if you don't know about it, is, like, melodramatic, super heady, like, uh, like the emo thing, essentially. It's yeah. just, like, it's about a man who's transformed into a giant rock and, like, all of the shit he has to go through with that. And it's, like, it's by Ch- Paul Chadwick, and it's, it's fucking beautiful. Like, yeah. it, the line work in it is insane. But, yeah, like, I had to rediscover that book when I was in, like, a junior or senior in high school. Like, in the 90s when I was 12 or 13, I was like, what the fuck is this <laughs> garbage? I want my goddamn Wildcats. <laughs> totally. I mean, same thing with, like, milk and cheese. Yes. And, fuck ha- yeah. and hate. Yeah. And all these, like, really ed- flaming carrot. Mm-hmm. All these, like, edgy comics that were, like, Late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. Yeah. Like, no way I'd have a nostalgic relationship with those because I was too young. Uh-huh. But those are the books that stick out to me as things that, like, I would love for that sort of vibe to yeah. come back to come. Just like the, the anarchist indie, like, pub. Yeah. Like, I'm making a comic to make a commentary about comics. Yes. And to just be fucking weird. Right. And to your point about Donnie Cates being a very nostalgic comic book writer and hitting some of those feels like he's doing that, but in a different way, he's writing Mm -hmm. comics that are like a commentary on the medium, but not in a way that like is just like, Oh fuck society. Everything blows. Mm -hmm. It's a take on, um, that superhero trope stuff that we just got fed like tons of in the nineties. It's like, what if Spawn had some restraint? Right. <laughs> well, that's that's the stuff that's interesting to me. I didn't grow up reading comics. I got into comics when I was a college kid. Mm-hmm. So I like the aesthetic of the 90s as a, like a throwback thing. But like, yeah, the stories and the, the creators and stuff, I have no like allegiance to. So, yeah, bring back, you know, the sick-ass acetate covers and, you know, like uh, the the embossed, uh, you know, covers, (laughs) you know, the metallic covers, like all that stuff is great. But, yeah, if you're going to bring back a comic, like make it read well and also have the 90s aesthetic. I mean, mean, the 90s. It, had a that's a great look. point. It is the aesthetic that we're after here, yeah. more than anything. And when I think about who I'm a fan of, who I was a fan of in the 90s, mm-hmm. all artists. I didn't oh, have sure. a yeah, yeah. clue yeah. who was writing anything. Right. It was all who made Wolverine look the most badass. Yeah. All I cared about. The, man, the funniest thing about the 90s is Wolverine's claws were always different lengths depending on the artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Sam Keith grew, drew his, like, through the, like, they're, like, yardsticks coming out of his knuckles. <laughs> and then, like, he had, like, the bone claws. And, like, Wolverine was, like, fucking everywhere in the 90s. And yeah. he was make, maybe one of the most polarizing character designs, depending on who drew him. You know who I was thinking about the other day? And this is kind of, like, a nostalgia thing. It might be on, like, the late, it's on the later end of, like, the era we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, um... I loved Joe Madura um, growing up, and his style had a little bit of a um, anime manga influence. I think. What was he famous for? Probably Uncanny X Men. 
okay. the most so. He also did that um, image book, Battle Chasers, that was like cliffhanger comics. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I think his style was just perfect for me at the time because we grew up watching like Dragon Ball Z mm-hmm. and all these other like things from Japan. Mean and having that style clash with like American pop art and comic books was right. like right in the feels for me. And I think his art like totally influenced where a lot of American comic art went. Oh, for sure. After it did. that. But I he his name is something that I don't hear referenced very often. So shout out to Joe Mad. Who's a listener? <laughs> who loves first issue? Well, like <laughs> him and like you mentioned Huberto Ramos, like his both cliffhanger guys on image. Yeah, and like the the his body parts were so extreme, and like the the facial features yep. were like really really wild. Like yep. those two guys really influenced, I think, like a generation, a younger generation of artists going forward. Like you said, yep. so um, yeah, both of those guys. Huge first issue club fans, so um, they're probably blushing right now that we're talking about them. <laughs> yeah, we'll, probably. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll sign some stuff for you guys if you just yeah. want to DM us your addresses. We'll. Send I'm some nine vulnerable when I'm blasting first issue club swag out. Yep. Todd McFarlane, not a fan, so he's not listening. <laughs> I know that for sure. We can he's, say whatever we want about Todd. He's too busy doing promo for the new Spawn movie. Did you see his promo stuff for the Spawn movie? It's basically <laughs> like he made it in notes. With like a a pin, just like spawn update coming tomorrow, and it's uh, just like the biggest grandpa thing I've ever seen. Of like, the kids are gonna love this. It's like leave it to the marketing department, Todd. Hey, he's excited too. He's he is amped. Yeah, and the movie comes out in like what two years? Like Jamie Fox is attached. His big announcement was that they found a director. So like- yeah, we found someone to make it. It's like you, you thought a trailer was coming or something. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get to the reason why everyone's here. Comic books. Yeah. Uh, it was a big week last week. A lot of cool stuff came out. Um, I read some cool comics I want to talk about. Uh, first of all, I read, I don't know if you guys did. Oh, fuck. I have to look it up. And this is the part where I'm, I'm scared because I don't have my notes up and it's not going to get edited out. And <laughs> everyone's going to know I'm a Dorcas. Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man by Taboo, B. Earl, and Juan Ferreira. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, the demon bears in it, which we, we talked about earlier with the new mutants. Uh-huh. And the story was actually pretty good. I was like, I thought it was just gonna be it's a mini, so I thought it was just gonna be like a a, a money grab for covers or whatever, because every like issue one obviously had like thirteen different covers. Here's the interesting thing about this book. Well, and I think this is the case that this was an unlimited comic. It was that was written Ooh. specifically for the app. Sure. And then got turned into a printed comic. They've done the same thing for several oh. X-Men Unlimited books. Well, I'm glad I bought it. <laughs> and I could be wrong. This, okay. this could be a situation wherein they've done a second dead like volume of Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man that is different from the original one that was on Unlimited. Right. Why make more comics when you can just print the comics that weren't printed before? Exactly right. You That's make, a good business. You make me get online for digital content, mm-hmm. and I pay for it there, and then I pay for it again once it gets printed. To hold it in <laughs> yeah, a different so, way. So I could hold it differently, yes. Uh, anyway, yeah, well, you everyone who listens knows that First Issue Club, huge Taboo fans, <laughs> big Taboo heads, and he did the Werewolf by Night two or three years ago, Yes, which was, you know, 
not his best work. Obviously, you think reserved for mu- music. Let's get this party started. That's like mm-hmm. peak taboo. I think he wrote that. <laughs> but this was actually a really good story about you know Peter Parker doing research about sleep and dream science that will uh, help cure diseases. A little bit of a reach, but hey, people, it's comic books. Yeah. But the artwork is the real star in this, and you get some really cool trippy visuals and uh, the demon bears in it, which is everyone's uh, favorite bear antagonist. <laughs> um, Actually, my favorite bear antagonist is Grizzly. <laughs> Where's he? Who's he? Oh, is that the- He's the Ant-Man villain? Yeah. Nope. Demon bear gets it. <laughs> Uh, so I read that, and then I read um, a book by John Ridley, um, GCPD, The Blue Wall. Hmm. Now, I I was apprehensive about this book because I was like- Because it's we... called The Blue Wall? Right, and like, do we need another- Celebrating Cops comic? Cop book. It's not even like celebrating comics. And like, So John Ridley, who, if you don't know, wrote uh, 12 Years a Slave, uh, Undercover Brother- Alien, and... right? Did he? Uh, no, maybe some that's cons- not right. It's Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Different, yeah. <laughs> Six degrees of separation uh-huh. there. Um, so, like, phenomenal writer. And he also did some work on... He, d- he does a bunch of DC stuff already. Uh-huh. And he did, like, some Batman Future State stuff. And he did the alternate... Or the other history of DC, which was, like, a Black Label book, which was fucking incredible. But I, I question why this book even needed to be done. Like, it is, like, a kind of a sob story of just, like, cops are the underdogs in Gotham and like the stuff they have to go through as cops and it's just like this book seemed like it it was like a year and a half too late to really be poignant in like the stuff that was really heated you know two or three years ago with you know and like not like it's like fucking stopped or anything but like the police brutality and Mm -hmm. like just like the overreaching power of the police but like it and like it wasn't terribly written like it wasn't a bad badly written book it just seems like out of place from where it should have been released yeah if i'm being honest yeah you think if it would have hit a year and a half earlier it would have like more yeah. more people would have been talking about it right and it would have you know helped with the conversation a little bit yeah. more but like the conversation's already been had uh-huh. so i'm wondering what is to be fleshed out here that hasn't already been talked about so when they announced this book i know a lot of people were like okay dc's writing a cop book because they like cops. But with John Ridley writing it, mm-hmm. my first thought was that they're making reference to the Blue Wall of Silence, which is like mm-hmm. a cops defend cops. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. like stance thing. So I wonder if as the series goes on, sure. if they're if it's going to get more subversive in that way. Well, and that is that is addressed in this issue like we follow, I didn't read it. We Sorry. Fo- we follow We follow these like three cadets who are graduating into becoming uh, beat officers mm-hmm. and they're each put in three different locations and we follow basically a day in the life of their first uh, operations out on being like beat cops. Yeah. And they each encounter different unique situations that happen to them. Oh, so they're all influenced in different ways and it shapes their perspectives. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And then we get the political aspect where like governors and police chiefs get involved and like try to like sway them one way or the other. And then like the issue always kind of culminates with them meeting up at the same bar to talk about their days and how they want to support each other. But to Andy's point, I think you're right. It may lead into that of just like no matter what, a cop has a cop's back and there is an interesting conversation to have there. And if it does roll into that, you know, that would be great. But, you know, I, I, 
I had that knee-jerk reaction. I'm just like, do we need like a cop book right now? Depends on what kind of cop book it is, I exactly. guess. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's there's a certain point in time where you say like we need to remember that there are conversations to be had here and mm-hmm. continue having those conversations. Otherwise it's just like a news cycle thing that it's like, okay, we took care of being mad at cops. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like And done. We do we added ten body cams and now we're like right. we're we're happy with the solution that we've found. Like, I mean, and it is interesting because we don't really get many on the ground stories about law enforcement in superhero stories. Sure. It's always focusing on these big characters that can swoop down and use technology to take care of the bigger problems. But at the end of the day, people are still jaywalking and, you know, <laughs> we got to stop parking that. in non-parking <laughs> spots and, you know, stuff that Batman can't be bothered with. He's not out there, you know, watching meters and giving tickets. So it is, it, it is um, a unique take. And I, I am curious to see where it goes. And, John Ridley hasn't written a bad DC book yet, so. I would absolutely read GCPE, Gotham City Parking Enforcement. Yeah, but it's Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a low-level Robin, like Robin 9. Yeah, well, he's like the robot Robin out there, yeah. just like, you are 20 minutes late. Pa- Penguin, your car is parked illegally in a red zone. I just booted your car. <laughs> if we start to blur the lines with parking, where does it yeah. stop? Uh, okay, so the book that I read most recently that was a first issue that I'm stoked on is Spider-Man because we've got Dan Slott, Mark Bagley back at it again, mm-hmm. two Spider-Man legends. and In the I, same room. And I think that this book's going to be really fun um, if you don't know the situation with their book that they're writing. I don't, so please fucking explain it so to me. So Zeb Wells is still writing Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. And on the sidelines over the last like three or four months, we've had these Edge of Spider-Verse books coming out, yes. which are very fun. They're oh. incredible, like little vignettes of Ex- spider exactly stories. Exactly right. So we know anytime that there's a Spider-Verse, multiverse sort of story, we're going to bring in all these different Spider-Man characters. And every time they do it, Edge of Spider-Verse introduced... This is like the third or fourth time they've done an Edge of Spider-Verse series. Yeah. It introduces characters from new um, multiverses that are going to get wrapped into the story. Right. um, Which is really fun. A lot of first appearances, so they sell really well. um, People dig them. Ultimately, not a lot's going to happen with these characters. (laughs) Well, people don't want to miss the uh, Spider-Gwen. Exactly right. If (laughs) Spider-Gwen happens again. Those things sell out all the time. (laughs) I don't think we're going to have a repeat of Spider-Gwen anytime soon, but we'll Uh, see. There's a spider-dinosaur, so watch it. (laughs) That is true. Um, So those all led up to what happened with Spider-Man 1. And... It seems to me like they're saying, you know, Dan Slott's the guy who started the Spider-Verse stuff. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's going to end the Spider-Verse okay, stuff. Okay, yeah, nice. So this book is supposed to culminate in the ending of the Spider-Verse. So whatever happens- <laughs> Quote, unquote. Yeah, we'll see. You know what I mean? Anytime anything's supposed to be done, finished, wrapped up, it never really happens in comic books because comics. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that an attempt is going to be made- to clean up the timeline and all the different realities a little bit. So is it a sequel to Spider-Geddon? Exactly right. Okay. So in this one, the first issue, a lot of things happened. Okay. Uh, which I'll just Hit shout it. out here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 
Jessica Drew gets stabbed up the gut and like dissolves. Yes. Okay. Have you Sorry. seen this stuff happen? I, I forgot I read this, and now that you're saying this stuff, it's all coming back to me. Uh, Morlin has teamed up with the Spider Team, which is pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> there's a handful of other things that I'm just like, I, you know, re- read the comic if you're interested in it. But I'm just saying, <laughs> read the goddamn book. The first issue takes a lot of big swings that I'm like, so much happened that was big in this that. Every subsequent issue, mm-hmm. I just envision being like wackier and wackier, even wilder. Right, like you're gonna do all that stuff in the first issue and then have it like cascade downward from here. Like I don't think so. That's like not the way Dan Slott writes or works. So I think it's gonna be a real wild, really fun series. And and I'm just excited to have Dan Slott writing Spider-Man again. Correct me if I'm wrong. So I wanna, I don't wanna like mess up the Spider-Man lore, but like in the new Spider-Man number one, isn't like a new character controlling the misplaced multiverses Spider-Man and like changing them into like evil versions. So there's a series coming up called dark web. Yes. And not the place on the internet. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And we don't totally know how these things connect, but there is some like ancient mythology, that's being wrapped into this new Spider-Verse story mm-hmm. that leads you to believe that each of the individual Spider-People could be corrupted by, like, these bee stings. So okay. that could be what leads into Dark Web, mm-hmm. or it could be something else entirely. We know from the free comic book day Spider-Man book that um, the Goblin Queen from X-Men is part of this. Yes. And so she's probably, it could be like a demonic possession thing. And these two things could be a lot less related than we were talking about right now. Okay. Like I, I, I've seen some of the, some of that dark web stuff come out with Inferno branding, which is the old X-Men event Mm -hmm. that dealt with limbo and, um, uh, Madeline Pryor and, all that kind of demon infestation in on Earth stuff. So I, I think it's going to be more along the lines of that route. Yeah, because when I read it, it sounded like there was like another like Madam Web character who can like touch the quote unquote web of the that every Spider Man is connected to and like corrupt their individual line or something with that sting of whatever. Yes, this is a thing. Okay, <laughs> comics, everybody, you gotta love it. Uh, these are these are things that like the more I read comics, the more I get stoked about these sort of things. Right. But I can also see in the rearview mirror that like twenty years ago, me would be uber frustrated. Right. Because I'd be excited to check out this new big storyline that's happening, mm-hmm. and then be like, I can't follow this. But, You're exactly right. This is for old heads. Yes. This is maybe the worst entry point for new <laughs> new readers. Yeah. And it's it's hard because as a new reader you see these sort of things and you're like I want to be a part of the conversation but it's just very inaccessible. That's why we exist. To help. <laughs> sure. I'll do what I can. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Tune in every week and Mike's going to give you an update. <laughs> no promises. <laughs> but it is like so, so sorry. Spider-Man number 1 is following Peter Parker from the six one, like it's take it takes place in the six one six. Yes, it is the same Peter Parker that's in Amazing Spider Man right now. It's just like an adjacent yeah thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
Cool. Let me get out my Excel spreadsheet. He's wearing the same suit that was given to him by Norman Osborn that he's wearing in Amazing Spider-Man right now. So it's right. like one to one on timeline. Right, and he's alive right now. now. Right? Norman? Norman's alive. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> God damn it. His sins have been eaten. By, mm, I wonder who. <laughs> I wonder if there's a character whose name was so on the nose. <laughs> Eating Sin Man. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Sin Muncher. Is that all, is that all you want to pip? That, yeah, yeah, exactly right. I, I know it's not very, like, super rad to, like, be like, the one comic I want to draw everyone's attention to is Spider-Man. <laughs> Ever I heard could, of him? I could have <laughs> picked an indie book, but I kind of, I spent a lot of the indie books I was excited about uh, last week in right. our, like, top fives we missed. Oh, by the way, uh, on the Discord, we got a little roasted for not talking about 8 Billion Genies. Yes, great book. Uh, because we talked about it before the break that we took, but 8 Billion D- Genies is, of course, incredible. Yes, and if you so don't, you're, wanna... so you're saying that didn't qualify. It didn't qualify because okay. we already covered it. Got it. Okay. So I'm now taking the time so to n- now. Greg's very um, defensive. You know, take care of a few <laughs> issues that we don't. You know, that we're not on the pulse of comic book. Uh, you know, hotspots. Is, is that a DC book or a Marvel book? <laughs> Andy, unplug your mic for a minute, and it's great to have you. Uh, but if you don't want to read the comic, which why would you even be listening to this show? It's going to be a TV show on Amazon. Eight billion genies. I loved uh, the last issue I read, which was number five, I think, and it was eight months. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was really fun. I love the progression of the story to be like the first eight hours, yes. eight days, eight weeks, eight months, and then the next issue is going to be eight years. And there's so, eight issues. And there's eight issues. So a lot of just fun things <laughs> happening. And there's eight billion genies. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> just every character has eight teeth. <laughs> Little known fact. Andy, what do you got? What did I read recently? Yes. Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Undead. You guys had to know that I was coming. It written by Bruce Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great story. It's a World War II action story starring everyone's favorite sergeant, Mr. Rock. Does he have special powers or is he just very good at war? No, he's just good at guns. Okay. He's he's, he's the Punisher. He's good, yeah, he's good at America, but not as, you know. <laughs> They couldn't take Captain America because Marvel had him. So right, yeah. It was Sergeant Rock. Uh, yeah, I mean, he teams up with Easy Company to fight some Nazi zombies. That's the story. Yeah, I mean, what else do you need? I mean, it's fun. It seems like it's going to be a, a, a good time. Bruce Campbell's actually a pretty good writer, um, you know, for for an actor. If he, anybody has read uh, If Chins Could Kill or uh, his his novel, did he write The Man with the Screaming Brain? I think he co-wrote that with, okay. with uh, Ted Raimi. Okay. If, if that was actually a really good book. Yeah. Was that on uh, IDW or Dark Horse? Oh, the comic? Yeah. yeah I, w- I think it was a Dark Horse comic. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's that's cool. I mean, is it super bloody? It's a little bloody. I mean, it's DC, so it's I kind of I kind of wish they would go like full um, Evil Dead. Yeah. Since Bruce is involved and just like. Well, just unbelievable gore. I don't think they wanted to make it a, like a black label book, you know? <laughs> Why not? Because then you'd have to show penis. Batman's penis. Just exclusively Batman's penis <laughs> in a, a Bruce Campbell book. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fun book. It's, it's not a lot not a lot of thinking required, I guess. <laughs> hey, need that sometimes. That's my favorite kind of comic. Not a lot of words, which is another reason why I didn't like the Blue Wall book. There was a ton of words. Uh, right? Just like, oh, quit explaining yourself. Yeah, all the important comics have words, and it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More pictures in my comic books. Yeah. That's my plea to the community. 
And you know what? Less panels. One panel per one page. One panel per page. No words. <laughs> if it can't all be done in one panel, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Tom King. Nine panels Nine per panels. Page. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> he has a uh, book coming out with Phil Hester. It just came out. Gotham Year One. Yes, Gotham Year One. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll probably cover it next week. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. I just got it the other day. Looks pretty sick. And that's all you wanted to get out. I mean, that's the important one. There's a, cu- a couple other things coming. Out. Crypt of Shadows came out this week. I haven't read oh, that's that a, yet. Was that like a Marvel team up book with Moon Knight? Or I think it's an anthology book. I haven't read it yet. Again. Okay. But yeah, it's it's a spooky season type book. Um, speaking of spooky season. Yeah. Uh, while we're in it to win it, um, we wanted to go down, kind of talk about some of the scariest books, or maybe that, maybe not scariest, but some of the comic books that maybe have uh, upset us the most as, as far as material, <laughs> <laughs> left us with that uneasy feeling. I'll tell you what, guys, think of what triggers you the most, and let's just like <laughs> hash it out here. Well, what what really just gets under your skin and makes you feel bad? Let's talk about it. So I have my pick, but I'm really glad you phrased it that way just now. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Because my pick is Crossed Oh, by Garth Ennis. I've yeah. never read Crossed. Um, so I picked it up on a whim. I had to order it from my local store. Uh, I was super into Garth Ennis. I was reading everything I could find. I just finished The Boys and Just a Preacher. And I was like, crossed. It looks like a zombie book. I'm in, right? So I ordered three volumes in one go mm-hmm. of Crossed. And it is the most disturbing comic I've ever read. So when I Googled scariest comics, like, and I read a couple of lists, Crossed was on every one of yeah. them. What the hell happens in this book? Because I'm, I'm not going to read it. So it's <laughs> like if it makes more than three lists of like scariest book, like no, thank you. So it's not it's not inherently scary. It's more disturbing, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, Red Room. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Red Room. Um, but it's it's a ostensibly a zombie book. But instead of them being like mindless zombies, the virus makes the cross on their face. That's mm-hmm. where it gets the title, and also like <laughs> they're super smart, manipulative. <laughs> Well, so it, oh, it, no. you like lose your your censorship of yourself. So like whatever you truly in your heart of hearts want to do, mm-hmm. oh, that you, is messed up. You yeah. go and pursue. If we all had no inhibition, that would be scary. So, so it's like Caligula. Yeah, but it's the whole planet. So everyone's running around, you know, lots of sex. Yeah, but murder. non-consensual anything. Oh, yikes. Uh, lots of that. Okay. Lots of like people wearing other people's skin as clothes. Good lots Lord. of I mean, you name it, it it's in this book. Don't read it. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. like this is not a this is not an endorsement for this book. Um <laughs> Please no one go read this. I know we're talking about it. I mean, Please leg- don't seek it out. Legitimately. I I had the opportunity to sit at the Garth Ennis panel at the last Planet Comic Con while he's here. Um, and he talked about Crossed a little bit. And he said the point of Crossed was he wanted to address specifically people that say, like, oh, if the apocalypse happens, I'm ready, I'm prepared. And he's like, no, you're going to die. Like, if something truly happens, your options are to die or run away. Mm-hmm. And that's what this book is. It's just like people on the run from this literal nightmare, worst case scenario. Right. 
trying trying to survive. It's the it's the extreme version of The Walking Dead. I do love that aspect of it because that seems like it actually has a point and a, a purpose for existing and like illustrating the barbaricness of the world. Uh, and the the book I just mentioned, Red Room, just seems like it's like an excuse to be gross and like just draw the nar- do you remember the book that we read yeah ed pisker wrote it ed pisker yeah, illustrated yeah. It. and it's just like the gnarliest book for no other reason but to just do it that's what crossed became so originally oh no garth wrote it as like a six or seven issue like mini mm-hmm. and then it ended mm-hmm. but it's on avatar press yeah other people have taken it over so yeah, yeah somebody took it over and wrote you know nine other volumes Holy Whatever. Christ. I, I don't know if it went that long, but I know Alan Moore wrote a mini series for it. Garth actually came back and did some more issues for it. So like it's a long running comic, but it's messed up. I mean, after, yeah. Like what stories left to tell after like two volumes? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, mine was um, Revival Great. by uh-huh. Tim Seeley and Jim Norton. Yeah. Not Jim Norton. Anyway, it's about like it's like basically an alien possession story set in this like um town that's like um secluded from everything else. It happens in the dead of winter and I really liked it because I, I like possession stories and like alien stuff is like really fun to me and it is kind of captivating and it is almost like and not like a who's done it but just like you don't know where the alien is or who it's in. It's like an invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. And every issue is like even more upsetting than the next. And like, the thing is like the alien can actually go into animals too. So it's like, you don't know where it's at or, um, you know, you know, who, who is safe and who isn't. And then one of the characters is like, becomes pregnant and the aliens also like in there with the baby. So it's, it goes on a wild ride. Um, it went for about 30 or 40 issues, and it's, you know, it's phenomenal. I the love it. The covers are fantastic. Yeah, Ginny yeah. Frizen did the covers. Yeah. Um, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And it, uh, I try to reread it every Halloween uh, time, and, you know, it gives you the right kind of goosebumps. <laughs> also, Alan Moore's From Hell, what's about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Uh, it's like a masterpiece, and it's like, it's huge. It's like a gigantic read, but... It is a lot of fun. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to articulate like this book scared me because I think there's something about the medium of comic books that are like not inherently scary. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to jump scare. Yeah, in a exactly. Comic. <laughs> right. And so the, I think kind of what you articulated, Andy, that like sometimes when fucked up things or these situations or conundrums come up in stories, that like really stick with you like days afterwards where you're like, oh, that's haunting me still. Right. Like those are the sort of books that get me. And there's there's a book that just came out um, a few months ago that is a psychological thriller sort of book by Zach Thompson called The Brother of All Men. Oh, okay. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. It, I like Zach Thompson. Yeah. yeah it, it has a, like a Wicker Man-esque like feel it's it's like i think it's set in the 20s it's this guy who's like gone off to war come back he's a private investigator and he's investigating this cult that his estranged brother has joined and he kind of gets stuck on this compound 
um, mixing it up, trying to figure out what the story is with the cult. Yeah. And then things get a little more like convoluted and complex for him. And he starts to realize the intricacies of the cult and the power dynamics that exist. And it gets really scary where you're like, he tried to put himself in the situation uh-huh. to find out something simple. And now he's stuck in this like hyper complex, like horror show. Um, and the first two issues of that book have just been like pounding the back of my brain. Holy shit. <laughs> and I think it's, it's another one of those things that's like kind of a slow burn horror where like it's, you're not seeing people murdered. You're not seeing like, outright her like traditional horror tropes in it but you can just tell it's going towards a place that's like horrific so do does the cult know that this guy is there investigating where his brother's at or like what the cult is or uh there are a couple people who we get clued in on suspect that he's not there with the right intentions so that plays (laughs) that plays to another like weird power dynamic thing of like him either trying to be won over or taken advantage of in other ways, things like that. Okay. And I have ordered every cover. Wait, <laughs> that sounds sick. Yeah, it's what, great. What's it uh, published on? I think it's Aftershock. Aftershock, okay. Ooh, they do good shit. Yeah. Always good to get an Aftershock book in there. Please. <laughs> All right, does that do it for Spooky Week? I think I am chilled to the bone. I can't, I, I can't, I can't take handle another minute of any more of comic book conversation. <laughs> I, uh, my hair is standing up on end, and my eyes are popping out like I have just seen um, a ghost or a poltergeist. Oh, not like you saw a sexy lady in a comic? Or a no, no, not my, like my pupils aren't hearts. <laughs> Got yeah. it. My tongue isn't hanging out yeah, from I, just going, oh, I didn't hear a wooga, so that should have been the right. first clue. And like steam wasn't coming out from my collar. So this is less sexy eye popping, more scared eye popping. Yeah, check. But thank you for asking me because there is a distinction there that yeah. not a lot of people talk about. Thank you, Tex Avery. Either way, we got to make the episode explicit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is too hot for young readers' ears. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great Halloween. Watch out for that weird drug that's now in candy, I guess. Oh, great. What's it? It's like ketamine or something. I have not heard of this. I don't know. It's probably not in there. Just make sure your kids eat all the candy. And have a good time. Bye. First Issue Club is edited and produced by Mike DeStacy and Greg Lichtig. Follow us on social media at First Issue Club. And check out our Patreon for videos, audio, and more at patreon.com slash Club.